We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcast. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And then Greg Williams did us all solid, which is why if things play out the way we hope they do, and the Jets get Trevor Lawrence, and we have this great you know, 20-year run of winning football, there will come a day when we all should all look back and go, whatever happened to Greg Williams, the great martyr of New York Jet Handum? Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, and that's Chris Krueger, and we operate the Rock Pal Report, and that was Chris Carton of WFAN talking Greg Williams. Yeah, he's a martyr. Like, don't... Yeah, well, that's what he... Murdering Greg Williams in the same sentence. I never thought well, I would live to see the day. Well, if the Jets end up with the first pick, they get Lawrence, they turn it around. Ten years from now, you're going to go, oh, yeah, remember when Greg Williams called the cover zero <laughs> and Henry Ruggs scored the <laughs> touchdown? Like, Remember when he called that ballsy, stupid play to cement a loss? Yeah, that could be a moment that... In jet in the future of the Jets could be a good thing because you you got to get that top pick to get that quarterback. We have a lot to cover tonight, folks, because a, a bunch of stuff happened in the AFC East this week. The race is interesting, and this is our you looking back at it. The roundup for Week 13, the Buffalo Bills sit at nine and three in first place with an impressive win on the road in Monday Night Football, something not seen around here since bull haircuts and slap bracelets. 
The Bills maintained possession of the top seed in the AFC East. Josh Allen took the entire NFL, analysts and all, by the nethers and forced them to acknowledge the fact that he's decent at throwing the football. The Dolphins sit at 8-4 and four in second place. Despite some offensive struggles early against the Bengals, Tua came alive in the second half, allowing Miami to keep pace for the division race, still just one and a half games out of the top spot. It's going to be interesting to see what, if any, changes the coaching staff can make to this beleaguered offense to try and give that defense some help, because right now that's how they're winning their football games. The Patriots at 6-6. Six and six. Third place. In what might have been the third most surprising outcome of the week behind Pittsburgh versus Washington and Buffalo versus San Francisco, New England steamrolled the Chargers. In the process, they got back to 500 for the first time in almost two months and are sneakily making a wild card push as teams like Baltimore and Vegas just kind of flail around. I, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, that, that Vegas loss to Atlanta... Yeah, that oh, was. They score six points. Yeah, they lost. I think forty three to six. But that's not a playoff team. If you could beat forty three to six, you don't make the playoffs most of the time. Remember the Bills in twenty seventeen when we lost to the to the Saints, and you go, "That's not a playoff team." Yeah, they snuck in and got beat by another by by the Jaguars, who were an anomaly all to themselves. But either way. That, that's a mess, and the Patriots are flirting with being able to kind of get back into that conversation. And then you're talking about the Jets, bringing up the rear at 0-12. I'm out. I have no more hyperbole. I don't have any more adjectives. I don't know how to describe the failure that this team every single week seems to subscribe to. I don't. It actually makes me sad just just thinking about it. So I'm going to move on. Normally we open our show poking fun at the New York Jets, but there's just so much to unpack. Chris, I feel like we need to save that for later in the show. Fine by me. <laughs> so we're going to open with some actual football conversation. And we have Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry to talk about the Miami Dolphins as they went on to win 19-7 to against the Cincinnati Bengals. How you doing tonight, Elf? Uh, great. So we're not going to talk about that zero blitz that Greg Williams pulled off <laughs> against the Raiders. <laughs> it's- yeah, because I, I was talking, you know, everybody's making fun of them, but, you know, they're going to get the last laugh. They're going to get the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Now, the saving grace is that it is the Jets. <laughs> and they'll likely screw it up anyway. Well, that's it. They're going to screw up whatever they. Especially if, I, I mean, because at this point, like Adam Gase. And you know this from your time with him as your head coach. I've often referred to him as a reverse King Midas. And that everything he touches turns to crap instead of gold. And it seems like the New York Jets are exactly that right now. They're crap. And Mm -hmm. that play was the Jetsiest thing that could have happened in 2020. Like, it's peak (laughs) 2020 New York Jets. And then, of course, they fire him. Why? What's the point? Like, what, what is the point of firing that guy at this point? I mean, what's the point of firing anybody in that building? I, <laughs> none of it matters. Elf, they're going to call you. You can go be their defensive coordinator. They're like, ah, we saw you. We saw your yard work series. Obviously, you know how to watch film. Do you want to be our coordinator? Because nobody else wants to touch this mess. Would you I'll take- tell you one thing. I would have I won that, that Raider game. 
I don't doubt that. So you, I would have just said, I would, I would have just said, uh, you know, cover, cover two or quarters over the headset, and and that's it. Yeah, and then taking and, the headset and, and I, off and started the celebration that you won a game, right? Yeah. Jesus. So it's so easy to just say, you know what, you got to keep your safeties back and not go all out blitz and have a guy who should be playing corner because Lamar Jackson, he's a nice player. I liked him coming out of Nebraska, mm-hmm. but I always felt that he was an immediate safety convert. I thought he should have been a safety right away. But they turn him, of course, into a corner. They have him guarding Henry Ruggs of all people. <laughs> hey, on a guy zero should, blitz. Hey, guy who should be a safety. Why don't you go? Why don't you go cover the one guy on this field who's a track star? Why don't you go do that? Yeah. What a what a bunch of boobs. Yeah. So we look at this game down in Miami, and I gotta tell you, I I I hated Sunday. You know, we talked a little bit about it in our Rock Pile report. This Sunday without Bills football. It was just a slate of crappy games. And they were crappy from 10 feet away when you were looking at the schedule on Saturday. And my wife was surprised that I spent wanted to spend the day putting up Christmas lights instead of watching football. And I told her, honey, when you put crap football teams together or make bad games, what you get is bad football. And this weekend, the league was full of it. And this Miami Dolphins game, I think, almost fits the bill for some of that. Because it's a close win against one of the worst teams in football that somehow, that's not the story. The story is everybody's getting ejected and throwing haymakers. <laughs> what the hell happened to you guys down there? Well, well, first of all, the game wasn't really that close to begin with. It was, it was you know, it was, it was 19-7. You guys were but, losing at halftime. You guys were losing at yeah, halftime. But I saw that. Losing at halftime with our corner thrown out of the game and three fights breaking out. <laughs> and then uh, we start in the second half. In the second half, it should have been like three consecutive scoring drives. But we ended up, you know, settling for a field goal on one of them. Like the score should have been something like 30 to 7. There was so many missed opportunities. Well, so let's the bomb talk- to Jakeem Grant that Jakeem Grant dropped, <laughs> which should have been a 91-yard touchdown. So, you know, it's so many things went wrong in this game. You know, most of which was, you know, all the fighting. And it really all got started with, with the Bengals. And it started with Sean Williams, who got, who got uh, suspended this week. I don't know if you guys saw that. I he did was the see only that. guy that got suspended out of all this, all this stuff. And it was basically over. Solomon Kinley was coming over an ankle injury, right? Mm-hmm. He was getting over an ankle injury. He was back in the lineup, playing well, actually, over mm-hmm. his ankle injury. And what does this guy, Sean Williams, decide to do? Stand on top of his ankle after a pileup. And that started, you know, the that's some Albert Hainsworth stuff. That's dirty. Yeah, if if someone does that to one of our teammates, I'd like to think that they're Chris. If that happened to the Bills, I'd like to think Feliciano would have something to say about it. And you, yeah, that was the first part. Okay, that was the first thing that happened, and then you know a fight broke out over that. All right, and Solomon Kinley just stared at him like, "Did you really just do that?" (laughs) You know. Then uh, they punt. Okay, and by the way, they they gained 22 yards on 25 plays in the second half. So, so it wasn't like it wasn't like the Bengals had any real, you know, they weren't really a danger to the Dolphins in this game. Well, no, it seems yeah. like most of your wounds were self-inflicted. And I think if we're going to talk about the actual game itself and the themes that I took away, because I go back and I, you know, <clears throat> the hungover day that I had, I went back and I watched the game and the condensed version over at the Game Pass, which is one of the greatest creations of all time. 
I can watch a full football game in 35 to 40 minutes, which is incredibly helpful for exercises like this. And I'm watching the first half play out. I'm just watching your offense kind of quagmired a little bit. You guys mm-hmm. kind of, you guys are really struggling to move the football around. Now, you are the more talented team. Obviously, the more talented team won the football game. And to your point, there was a lot of things that went wrong that would have increased your margin of victory. But at the same time, <clears throat> are people getting restless? And how about are you getting a little restless over these slow starts on offense? Yeah, and, and I think they're going to start doing something about it <clears throat> because uh, the media down here has been beating... Changeli over the head over this uh, this temple thing where I guess Brian Flores let the cat out of the bag that he went to Changeli and told him, look, you know, you, you understand you have Tua Tungavailoa and he made his whole name in at Alabama as an up-tempo quarterback. How about you try some of that stuff in the second half? Sure enough, they do it in the second half. They go up-tempo and he literally starts marching down the field unimpeded, ends up throwing for almost 300 yards. Should have had another touchdown. Did get a 91-yarder dropped. <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden, the offense looks great. And, they, you know, they, they rush for over well over 100 yards. Everything looks awesome. And what did they do? All they did was just go up tempo. See, and that's and let Tua call some of his own RPO stuff. And, and that's one of the things I find interesting. Because this offense, over the course, with Tua at the helm, has kind of been hit and miss. It's been... You'll see them stall for an entire quarter, and then it's like a light switch gets flipped. Is that the light switch? Is it the fact that they, they're just not giving him enough opportunities in this RPO style of offense I think the, to be the common denominator in when Tua has looked the best is when he's been behind or close. He was behind against the Cardinals. He looked great. He was behind in this game, and he came out great in the second half. It was close in the third quarter. He played very, very well. Uh, the Chargers really the only game. The game against the Chargers was the only game that he really just came out, and he was sharp from the get-go. But the other two games, the the common denominator was that they were either behind or they were close. And they cut the reins a little bit, and he ended up playing really, really well. So you firmly believe that with just some minor play-calling tweaks, you guys can improve this. This is something that can be fixed. It's not something that's a critical issue for the Dolphins moving forward. Yes, and it doesn't help also that our offense is really geared to the running back position. We throw it to the running backs. We run it you know, as just really as a change of pace to our offense. And we haven't had two running backs healthy any given week for like the last six weeks. Last week, you know, well, going into this week, going into this week, there was a strong possibility we we're going to have one running back healthy. We ended up having two. The week before, we had three guys, three running backs out. And the week before that, we had four, and we had to get a guy off the street. We had actually traded for DeAndre Washington, who played, who actually played well against the Jets. So, you know, it's been, you know, patching and and prodding and trying to fix this running back position all season with, you know, well, the Jordan know Howard thing. I mean, that, and, the, 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 and the, roofing paper. <laughs> Cause as I was and, saying, like you guys really did put a lot of effort between draft picks and the signing of Jordan Howard that everyone thought was going to be great. You brought in Matt Breda. It, it was obvious that that's what you guys were shooting for was a fleshed out running a deep veteran 
fleshed out running back room. And really quickly, that all kind of deteriorated over the early part of the season. And so now, to your point, you guys kind of are mixing and matching things down the stretch here, which isn't yeah, ideal for any offense. Part of that whole of that whole room is really Miles Gaskin, our seventh round pick from last year, who's been the most consistent guy out of the room. You know, it's and crazy to think about. He just it had like an that. he had another decent game. You know, ninety yards on twenty one carries. You know, you can't sneeze at that. And he also caught for I think he caught forty five yards worth of balls. So, you know, that's a decent game from scrimmage, 135 yards for the running back. So he's been the most consistent part, and I think he's he's just – he won the job. The, you know, there's four games left. He's the guy going forward. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he stays healthy this time. <laughs> Hopefully. Now, on the flip side of the football, you guys are playing some of the best – I mean, the statistics you, you rattled off to us earlier kind of speak to this. The Miami Dolphins defense might be playing the best defense in the AFC right now. I mean, obviously, there's teams that are creeping up there. I mean, the, the Steelers have been, they're statistically the best, but you're starting to see some warts and they're getting injured and there's some things popping up that they're having to fight their way through. You, you, the Patriots seem to be coming on, something we're going to have to talk to Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots about later tonight, which it kills me inside because we literally threw dirt on their grave. We did the thing, Chris, that we always do because we're, because we're asses, and we danced on their grave a little bit when they lost... Uh, when they lost their last game, and now they've rattled off two in a row since then against two pretty solid offensive teams in the Cardinals and the Chargers. So their defense is really making a solid rebound. But I still think Miami's up there as far as the teams playing the best defense in the AFC. Well, as of right now in the NFL, the Steelers are number one in points allowed at 17.6, and the Dolphins are second at 17.7. And they're really getting to the quarterback now. And, of course, the turnover, their turnover streak has reached 18. And Xavier Howard, uh, he only played a quarter, and he ended up getting his eighth pick. So he just attracts interceptions. I don't know how it happens for him, but it just does. Eight interceptions. And if you look at it, nobody has more interceptions than Xavier Howard in the last 50 NFL games. And he's missed 16 of them. Wow. That's, so that tells you all you need to know. That's he has more interceptions statistic. in his first 50 starts than Ed Reed had. Wow. Okay. I did so not know that. What Xavier Howard is doing is rather historic, and I think he's finally going to get some due. I've always he's made one Pro Bowl. Actually, he's made two Pro Bowls, but I've always felt that he was snubbed for a third. I think he's finally going to get some votes for Defensive Player of the Year. Although, you know, what hurts him is that T.J. Watt is having such a great season in Pittsburgh as well. Those damn Watt brothers. I mean, they they showed the statistic that J.J. Watt has been Defensive Player of the Year like three or four times already over the course of his career. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, can, can you go, can you take a break? Can you go sit down and let somebody else have a crack at this? So knowing that your defense is your secondary is playing incredibly well, which is helping your front seven generate pass rush and kind of your front seven's working really well right now. These offensive woes that you have, you you seem to think that they're fixable. As we sit here today and watch New England making a hard charge from the back of the pack and now flirting with playoff hopes. And knowing what Bilichek's record against rookie quarterbacks is, I mean it's after Sunday's massacre, it was twenty one to five now. He's twenty one and five all time. Mm-hmm. How important are these next three games? All of them coming against highly competitive teams in Kansas City, Vegas, and New England, all in the AFC. And what's your level of concern going into them? 
my level of concern is the same as it's always been. Like they're going to be an underdog against Kansas City, but as my co-host said, Chris Kaufman, he said on Twitter, and everybody was like, "Oh, what was me?" Like, okay, everybody was just already chalking up. Okay, they're going to lose to Kansas City, and he was saying, "Look, not so fast. This is strength versus strength." You have a top defense. The Dolphins have a confirmed top defense. The Chiefs have the best offense in the league, or if not, the second best offense in the league. So let's see what wins out. And when every what everybody was missing when they started Tua Tonga Bailoa is that they started a quarterback that was going to cater to their defense. And what has happened since? He's played five games and he has no interceptions. Yep. Right. But well, we talked if he about goes last a sixth week. game. If he goes a sixth game without an interception, he will be the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to start his career with the first six games not having an interception. Jeez. So he has to make it through this game. So I think that they knew exactly what they were doing. They they thought to themselves, you know what? We have a defensive-oriented team. We need a quarterback that's going to be safe and going to be conservative with the football and not take too many chances, not turn it over. And if we don't turn it over, we should be able to beat almost everybody in this league. And that's exactly what they're going to do. Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's going to be fun sitting back with all the primetime football the Bills are going to be playing, getting to sit back and watch you guys play out this three-game stretch that is essentially your season. I mean, your whole season hinges on what happens over these next three weeks. It's either going to make or break you. It's going to be incredibly fun to watch. Where can people find your work throughout the course of those three games? And where can they find? And what do you guys have coming up this week in the podcast? Uh, I'm, well, on the podcast, we're going to have actually a big game edition of, of Three Yards Per Carry on Thursday as we're going to preview Chiefs Dolphins. That's going to be a lot of fun. You can find us wherever you find your podcast. That's the, the Three Yards Per Carry, the word Three Yards Per Carry on Twitter. The same. It's the number Three Yards Per Carry. You can find us there. And, of course, you can find my yard work series on the YouTube channel of Five Reasons Sports Now. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And as we come out of the break, I have to open a fresh beer for this conversation, Chris. Yeah. We're talking about the New York Jets with our weekly guest, Mr. Scott Mason, who found a... Like I said at the top of the show, I'm out of hyperbole. I'm out of I'm out of criticisms or jokes or jabs. They found a new way to suck us all down into the eighth level of football hell by losing to the Raiders by a score of 20, 31 to 28. Mr. Mason, how are you doing this evening? I'm just fine. I'm about as good as you can be rooting for an 0-12 football team right now. I want this to be over. Four more games. Let's get it done. Well, Chris, raise a glass because some congratulations are in order. Cheers to you and your Jets for holding a fourth quarter lead for the first time in weeks 
and maybe just the second or third time all season. <laughs> Kudos on that. <laughs> well, first, before we dive into the, the shade and Freud, let's talk a little bit about how you got there. This was an offensive explosion for the Jets on a day when nobody saw that coming. What did you guys have working for you on offense? I'll say one simple thing. Mekhi Becton and the running game. This was the best the running game has been all season. It's the only game that they've really been effective. And the ironic part, of course, is that the two guys who were doing it were Josh Adams and Ty Johnson, who had a combined like four carries between the two of them going into this game. Gase had gone mostly with Frank Gore, a little with Michael P. Ryan. Gore had actually been reasonably productive the last couple of weeks, but overall he hasn't been that great. The bottom line with him is he can still see the holes and he'll get you a couple of yards, but he's not the same player that he was back when he was in San Francisco or even in Indianapolis. But everybody knew that Josh Adams had ability. He was the leading rusher for the Eagles in 2018, and he somehow ended up getting released. Joe Douglas grabbed him last year. They stashed him on the practice squad. And then this year he became active when LaMichael Pirine went down. Ty Johnson was somebody that had gotten a couple of carries early in the year, looked pretty good, but then Gase didn't go to him at all. Ty Johnson became the first Jets running back to go over 100 yards since, get ready for this one, guys. Blair Thomas. Over two years ago, that was the last time that somebody went over 100 yards for the Jets rushing the ball. But he and Adams had almost 200 yards rushing. And that was the story here. Sam Darnold had his fair share of moments, but for the most part, same old story, three turnovers, two fumbles, and an interception. The running game controlled it. Mekhi Becton was just plowing guys in the running game. And so that's how the Jets were able to do what they did. Obviously, Henry Ruggs was a big story here because he had a late turnover that led to a Jets touchdown, which, as you alluded to, he did atone for at the very end. So now, Vegas is technically a playoff team. Yet you guys, right up until the final whistle, gave them a lot of problems on defense. What did you see out of these Jets? I mean, I feel like at this point, these players, regardless of the coaches, are playing for pride. What did you see out of the players against the, against the Raiders that allowed them to kind of hang around in this game? Well, I'll say this. If you know anything about players, you know that none of them want to be on the worst team in the league, let alone a team that has no wins whatsoever. So no matter what the fans want, the players are never going to want to lose games. So what you saw was a collection of players who realized that it's getting likelier and likelier that they're going to be the worst team in the league, whether it's zero wins or not, that they're very likely to be the worst team in the league. And they want to avoid that fate by any means necessary. That's why you've seen these guys continue to try hard in a lot of spaces, especially the defense. Those guys, from what I understand from the reporters who spoke to them afterwards on Zoom, they look completely dejected. Marcus May actually came out, and this was before Greg Williams is fired, and he was just completely exasperated, seemed to be taking shots at Greg Williams for that call at the end. He said it, it was killing them that they, they didn't get this win when they tried so hard and they had it and they thought they had it locked up, basically. And so that's what, what's going on with these players is they're playing for their own pride. It kind of conflicts, as I said, with what the fans seem to want at this point. 
which to his credit, Boomer Esiason articulated on national television, which I have to say I wasn't expecting because, you know, the NFL is very much against perpetuating that narrative of teams intentionally not trying their hardest or the fans wanting teams to not try their hardest. So that was interesting that Esiason did that. I think a big part of it is because he understands from being on the radio in New York every day what the vibe of the fan base is. But, yeah, that's what was going on. They don't care about any of that, the players. They just don't want to be the team that loses the most games in the league. And so they just hung in there. And like I said, the um, the running backs carried the day on offense, and the defense really stepped up, uh, especially in the uh, in the second half after that one Raiders touchdown. So that was, that was what it is. And I think, you, you know, the question is going to be, Will that continue? Will that carry over to this week? Or was this loss one that really just deflates them completely? We're going to find out. Well, and I guess that's the thing is I, I, the dynamic exists. You don't ever want to be if you're a professional at something, you don't want to be the worst at it because it's embarrassing to you professionally. And well, fans have the luxury of being able to I mean, read Ferguson. Bill's long sample came on our show a couple weeks ago, a week or two ago after the Arizona game and kind of spoke about the dynamic that exists between player mentality and fan mentality and how we have no understanding of what it is to do their job or sit in their shoes because we don't have to. But also, you don't make it to where they are if you don't have certain mindsets and if you can't get yourself to certain mindsets. One of them being moving on from losses and the other one having a killer instinct, having a, a, an overwhelming desire to be the best, to win. You have to be an A-type winner in order to be anything in the NFL. There's not a whole lot of guys walking around being a professional football player in this day and age going, you know, guys, let's just all go out there and have fun. You know, we're, we're just all out here to have a good time, right? That doesn't happen. And so to see a team fail like this and knowing it's, it's, I mean, for as much as I want to make fun of the Jets, it is hard watching these players like Frank Gore. Frank Gore is a good man. He was great for the Buffalo Bills. Knowing that he's tied to you guys and that he's suffering through this, that's tough. I mean, you always want good things for guys who showed up and played well for you. You have no ill will towards Frank Gore, right? No, I do not. So I don't think anybody here does. And it's hard watching them go through this. With that said, because you guys are the Jets and it's 2020, obviously something ridiculously cringeworthy had to happen. And you guys had a lead. So obviously that had to end poorly. I, mean, I was hanging Christmas lights and I've got my father-in-law giving me updates about what's going on on football. And I'm telling him, Larry, none of this matters. And he goes, the Jets are about to win. And I'm up on the ladder going, what? All right, good for them. And then he comes out of fusing and he goes, oh... It was terrible. <laughs> and I just started laughing. And I go, I can't wait to see. It. Here I was for a fleeting moment. I was thinking, we're going to be able to talk to Scott about his team's first win. And I'm sure he's not going to be thrilled about it because they're playing for the, because fans are playing for the draft. But his player, the players are going to be happy. They're going to be pumped that they finally, despite all of the coaching staff's boobery, have found a way to win a football game. And you had to, you had, you had to take another stab at embarrassing yourselves. And this time it was the defensive coordinator who decided to take take the knife and stick it in everyone's back. Now the conspiracy theories around this. Let's get into this. The whole Greg Williams situation. 
you dialed up a zero blitz, a zero blitz, with a cornerback who is essentially a guy who should probably be playing safety at the NFL level, covering the only player on the field for either team who could legitimately compete in track track events right now. Was this intentional? Was this a was this a work? <laughs> like you, you want to talk about WWF? Was this a work? No, it wasn't. And first of all, you guys should know, having seen Greg Williams up close as head coach of the Bills, this is what he does. He gets super aggressive, especially in situations like these where he thinks he can get to the quarterback. Last year, at the end of the half against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he did something very similar, and it resulted in Bless Austin getting beat one-on-one for a touchdown. That's exactly what you saw. I think it was just a bad call by Williams. He thought it was going to work. It doesn't make any sense for this to have been a work. And I'm a wrestling fan, so I'm naturally skeptical of a lot of things. But here's the situation. First of all, if you're going to work this, there's no way that you would have let it come all the way down to this because you wouldn't have even known that the Raiders were going to get the ball back. Think about this. The Raiders punted the ball back to the Jets with a minute 45 left. All the Jets would have had to do was get a first down, and the game was over. So if you were going to do this, you would have done it on the drive before. On that particular drive, the Raiders actually did score a touchdown. Hunter Renfro caught one. It got overturned with a penalty. They were offsetting penalties. And then on fourth down, the Jets were able to stop them. If you were trying to have this happen, you would have put the defense in a position there to mess it up. What, like I said, what happened here is Greg Williams got typically over-aggressive. In fact, on the play before, Nelson Aguilar was double-teamed, and he broke free. And Derek Carr missed him in the end zone. But there was the perfect opportunity there. With Ruggs, like I said, it was kind of poetic justice there because he more or less at, to that point had cost the Raiders the game with that fumble that led to a Jets, Jets touchdown. So for him to be able to make good at the end was huge for him. I made a joke that Henry, that the Jets passed on Henry Ruggs in the draft, and he still found a way to come through for them in this game anyway. <laughs> and I think that that's essentially how this wound up. Mark Jackson, a ton of credit, because that was an impossible situation to be in. Like you said, a guy who has safety speed going one-on-one with the fastest player on the field. And he knew, he said, got to backpedal, got to keep him in front of me because the second this guy gets past me, I'm toast. And the double move, he fell for it because he also knew he had no help towards the middle. So if Henry Ruggs made that double move and cut towards the middle, he could have been wide open there too. So he had to sort of hedge. Unfortunately, it didn't work out because that's when Ruggs got that step. And once he got that step, it was over. But Lamar Jackson, to his credit, said, I consider this a learning experience. I'm going to do everything I can to put this behind me and to become a better football player because of it. And this is a guy that had no reason, especially with all the Zoom stuff, to face the media after this game. He could have easily slunk out. He could have told the PR guys, I'm not really feeling up to it and not had to deal with it. But he stood there and he faced the media and you got to give him a ton of credit for that. This was absolutely one of the most Jetsy endings that you could ever see in a Jets game. But it really was the culmination of a crazy day all the way around. And to be honest, the last four weeks, not counting the Dolphins game, the other three games that they played, the Chargers, the Patriots, and this game against the Raiders, the Jets were in it to the very end. The Jets were driving with three minutes left to 
to attempt to tie the Chargers a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, we know that the Patriots had to drive and, and get that game-winning field goal at the very end. So they've been pretty competitive three of the last four weeks. What will happen over the next four weeks? That's a big question. We'll see. But uh, this this was a very – under normal circumstances, you would say this is a heartbreaking loss, but I think we can agree this is not normal circumstances. No, absolutely not. So now here the, the, the big question is what happens to Greg Williams? Like I was joking around with a coworker of mine and you know, you all have that one guy at work you can talk to about sports, like who really gets it. That's so my buddy at work, we're talking about Greg Williams and it reminded me of something because he said, well, I'm sure after this, after this, he's going to retire. He has to retire. And I. I started thinking about it, and it reminded me of a bit that I heard from a stand-up comedian where he was talking about comedians retiring. And he goes, look, if you're not... He, he goes, what, what, if, if nobody knows you do this thing or you've been fired from a job, how do you retire? Who do you tender your resignation to? It's not like Greg Williams can turn in a two-week notice to anyone. He doesn't work anywhere. And he probably won't ever again. I mean, my tweet about the 11 jobs that he's turned down where all he had to do was show up and sign the papers and he could be a head coach. I don't think any of those actually exist. But what happens to this guy? Does he ever coach again? If you had if you had to wager a beer on it. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't, because I think people will talk about, oh, well, this will be no problem. He survived Bounty Gate. He can survive this. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think the difference between Bounty Gate and this is a couple of things. First of all, when Bounty Gate happened, he was about 50. Now he's 62. <laughs> the second thing is that at the time, regardless of Bounty Gate, he was still considered one of the top defensive coordinators in the league. I'm not so sure he has that same rep now. And more importantly, and I think this is the kicker, you have somebody who is a volatile personality and a volatile coach to begin with, but people put up with him because of his rep. But this play, this call, was the laughing stock of the league. Everybody was talking about how bad this was and how this was straight up malpractice, coaching malpractice. So it, it's going to be a very hard sell for any coach head coach to say, hey, I want this guy as my defensive coordinator at this point. And look, Greg Williams, I'm sure, without knowing him, I'm going to guess that he has made enough money that if he wants to retire and bow out gracefully now, he probably can. I'm sure he's made plenty. What he wants to do after this, I'm sure he would like to not go out like that. But it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know what? Maybe he even goes to the college ranks. That might be something that he could do just because, you know, maybe some college, you know, gets the name value of a Greg Williams or, hey, you know, we can get him at a you know, whatever school. So, you, so and, wait, and you, maybe, what you're saying is you could see him teaching our best and brightest for the future. That sounds like sure. a great idea. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. No, Chris, let's start right. teaching them how to cheap shot at the collegiate level. Let's, right. That's next level thinking. Hey, don't don't encourage them cheating and trying to hurt people at the NFL level. Let's get to them earlier so that by the time they get there, they're already ingrained. Got to oh. teach them young. You saw what happened to, to Zach Wilson over the weekend at BYU. 
So that, that's Greg Williams to a T. But no, in all seriousness, I think there's a chance that he gets another job. But man, I would not be the least bit surprised if this ends up being hit, hit for him. Because like I said, now he's 62. That play is something that everybody took notice of. And I just don't know that anybody's going to go out of their way, especially with his rep at this point, to try and hire him. I, my favorite, as we leave and end that conversation, my favorite conspiracy out there right now is that he got himself fired because he figured it was already coming and he just wanted the extra time off for the holidays. That's it. <laughs> figured with the holidays coming, why not? Let's let's go out. Let's go out on our own accord. And just, well, I can be home for Christmas. Let let let's do the damn thing. So with well, that, I will I will say this just to wrap on that point. Uh, I've been saying about Adam Gase something similar that when people ask, "Are you what are your thoughts on being fired? Do you think you're going to be fired?" Blah 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 blah. He knows he's getting fired at the end of the year. So what does he care if he gets fired now? Like you said, if he gets fired now, he gets to go home, relax for Christmas, and he still gets to collect his check from the Jets the next two years. Do you anyway. know what he is? He's George Costanza when he's when he was working for the Play Now Corporation, and he just keeps showing up to the office knowing they don't have the balls to fire him, but they're tr- they want to get rid of him, and he knows it. They board up his office and he has to break in through the ventilation system. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because he's going to his office every day and he's showing up for work. (laughs) Knowing that that nobody in the building wants him there. He is George Costanza. Why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up over there at Play Like a Jet and where they can find you on social. And now you maybe want to have a Seinfeld marathon. So I might have to get to that later, Drew. You can find me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet 1. And the show is called Play Like a Jet. It is on all your major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, the whole deal, uh, seven days a week, Mondays. And again, the show goes up at midnight every day because that way you can check it out first thing in the morning or overnight, whatever your schedule is. It's there for you to listen to at your leisure. Mondays is the post-game report with Andy Vasquez. It's a very interesting one, as I'm sure you could imagine, this past Monday. Tuesday, we do There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett and his friends Josh Conrad and Travis Milton. It's, that's more of a Jets variety show, if you will. They talk Jets, but also have a lot of fun, play some goofy games, so it's a nice release. Wednesdays, we do the midweek news with Chris Ryan of NJ.com, although this week we flipped it around a little bit because of the breaking news of Greg Williams getting fired and, of course, the rumor about Bill Cowher, which... It's sort of like presidential elections. Every four years, you hear a rumor about Bill Cower <laughs> coming to the jet. That's sort of how that goes. So that's what we talked about, and normally we do that on Wednesdays. Thursdays, we do the 2021 NFL Draft Stock Report. We alternate it between Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report and Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com. Good way to get Jets fans ready for the draft, which right now is what a lot of fans are very interested in. Fridays, we go through all the statistics with Michael Nania. He does all the analytics. Uh, that's on Fridays. On Saturdays, your old buddy Joe Blewett takes us through the film. We call it X and O Quick Hits because it's basically a shortened version of Joe's four-hour film show that he does on YouTube. And then on Sundays, we do the pregame report and mailbag with Chris Nibley, the very big deal over at JetsInsider.com. And Walter Cherpinski of WalterFootball.com comes on to give us gambling tips so gentlemen as always appreciate you having me on this is going to be an interesting stretch run where your team is looking at potentially getting in there for maybe the three seed in the afc 
and the Jets are seeing if they can close this out in a way that will satisfy fans and We'll leave it at that. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right. And so rolling out of the break we have Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots who's here to talk to us about one of the most I mean Chris in a weekend full of bad football like we were talking about with Elf this was a weekend of poor football and yet even in that this was the game that shocked me the most didn't shock me at all I'm looking at the because I'm, I'm casually watching football over the course of Sunday and I keep looking at the score on my phone and I'm going what the hell is happening it's What's called coaching here. It's called coaching. That's a hundred. That game was all coaching. Well, we have Mike Debate of Lockdown Patriots here to talk us through this nonsense. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Uh, a little better than the last time we spoke. Uh, <laughs> there definitely is life being injected back into the New England Patriots fan base, and uh, I got to say, I have to agree. I think uh, Sunday was all about coaching. You saw one of the best in the business on display doing what he does and take a look at the other sideline. And boy, I tell you, it's, it's rough times for Anthony Lynn. And, you know, I know, uh, you know, I had some success as the offensive coordinator in Buffalo, still a beloved figure up there in a lot of ways. Uh, I had the chance to cover the Chargers uh, when Anthony was hired. And I remember a lot of the uh, enthusiasm and a lot of the anticipation that was in the air when he took the job. But you have to think the days are numbered right now. But uh, it was a big win for New England, no question about it. Big win? You won 45 to nothing! It, it, it's, <laughs> and Cam Newton had less than 100 yards. This is what I love about Mike. He comes on here and he goes, ah, it was a big win. You know, if the Bills had beaten anyone 45... In fact, I remember the last time we beat a team that badly, Chris. It was the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it was uh, one of the first games of the Bills season when Ryan Fitzpatrick was still our quarterback. It was like 41 to 7. 41 to 7, and I remember before the game vowing to one of my friends who I couldn't watch it with that we would that we would and this is the day of flip phones. There was no smartphones at this point, or maybe there were and I was just too cheap to buy one. But we were talking about I would shotgun a beer for every Bills touchdown. 
And I blacked out towards the end of the game. I went, and then I spent the rest of the night yelling at people from my ex-girlfriend's deck outside. Of, she lived above a bar, and I was just heckling people in the parking lot. Because I was just, I was over the moon that we scored 41 points and held them to seven. You just shut a team out. You've now gotten to 500, and Mike goes, eh, it was a good day. I love you. You are the <laughs> ultimate professional. <laughs> There's also an element of been there, done that too, gentlemen. If I want to do our own horn here and that is fair. a little bit, no, nah, no, nah, all kidding aside, no, nah, I really was. I mean, it, this was the type of game Patriots fans have been waiting to see all year long. Cam Newton was efficient, you know. There were definitely there was problems with the stat line. I but, guarantee but, but, that. I, 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 I was going to say you said Cam Newton was efficient. I said yeah, throwing 62 yards. He threw 62 yards. Let's not let's not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? Rush for 48. Uh, he protected the football better. He picked up the blitz a little bit better. Small steps when it comes to New England quarterbacking this year. But I'll tell you, the defense definitely had a sound game plan. you got to love what the front seven was able to do. Really impressed by what the linebackers were able to do. Secondary solid, as always. And special teams was the deciding factor in that game. Two touchdowns. Gunnar Rashelski was great. Justin Bethel, um, Matthew Slater, Adrian Phillips. Anybody that was into coverage on uh, you know a Sunday in uh, special teams really uh, did a tremendous job. You had Sony Michelle blocking for the punt team. I mean that's how this team just comes together and, and we're able to uh, to play a game that they absolutely needed to win in order to keep themselves on pace. And at 500 right now, all of a sudden, like I said, new life being injected back in. But I do caution Patriots Nation every day. I take the microphone for Lockdown Patriots because there's still a long way to go when it comes to trying to make a playoff run here. We had you on this show two weeks ago and we tap danced all over what we thought was the grave of the New England Patriots. And like the soulless zombies that you are, you claw your way out of the ground and now you're 500 and you're what? Two games back of second place. And I'd argue right now, looking at the playoff field, you guys are flirting with the wild card spot. How far out are you? Uh, well, right now, we would definitely need some help. At 6-6, six and six, there's a 21% chance that the Patriots make the playoffs. But you start looking at teams like the Raiders, who went wall-to-wall with the uh, with the Jets. And ultimately, I think in a lot of ways, you know, that game really could have gone either way. I think the Jets are in full tank mode, and you got to wonder what was going on with the play calling. I mean, that one's still a head-scratcher. Uh, but Baltimore, obviously, playing right now. We've got uh, a situation where if they start to drop a little bit, then does New England start to creep into that spot a little bit? So right now, there's an outside chance. It's not a great one, but a lot needs to break the Patriots' way. But right now, they do kind of control a little bit of their own destiny. If they can string together some victories here, it will be very interesting for this team as they head into the playoffs. And and I think they they now believe that, that this team has the capability of being able to contend. It's just a matter of putting together the type of effort we saw on Sunday. Well, and that's Again, it. not going to be easy, but they have a shot. Well, let's dig into that because that's the thing. What has keyed this turnaround for the New England Patriots where you guys went from being dead in the water to now rolling over two very strong offensive teams in back-to-back weeks with no support from your quarterback it's it's a defensive resurgence. I mean, would I be remiss in saying that? That it's been the defensive resurgence that's kind of keyed your victories here. 
No, you're definitely not wrong. I think defensive resurgence is the perfect way to put it. Look, the Patriots have a nice little budding three-headed monster, I like to call it, when it comes to pass rush and defending the middle of the field. And that's Adam Butler uh, in the defensive tackle position, and then edge rushers Chase Winovich and Josh Uche really coming on and making their presence felt in the middle of this defense. I think they really just embarrassed the Chargers offensive line on Sunday. And look, the Chargers offensive line is not going to win any tournaments anytime soon. That is not a good old line but what they did was they were able to pressure Justin Herbert on his dropbacks they did the same thing to Kyle Murray a couple of weeks ago uh, they removed the screens they removed the design quick throws by doing that it facilitates this defense to be able to prevent their opponent from throwing downfield the Patriots pass rush is able to get home now they're able to get home often and that only facilitates the secondary especially guys like Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson they can get into position now they can play their assigned cover and they don't have to worry about chipping in or helping out in the middle of the field Juwan Bentley has improved his play in the middle of the field in the linebacker position so they're utilizing the guys the young players the way they had envisioned and I think Things are coming together for the Patriots at the right time, and it's been all the difference. Uh, you look at the way this team has played defense the last couple of weeks, and you can see it. You can see it in the way they uh, they go about it. And for all intents and purposes, the Chargers may be 3-9, and nine, but they have the number two pass, to, pass offense in the league. This is not a team that has difficulty scoring points. They have difficulty defending them. They're very, very poorly coached on special teams. Uh, but this is a team that can put up points. And the Patriots made, again, a rookie quarterback look like a rookie because of the schemes and the unorthodox looks that a Bill Belichick defense can give you. Well, and that's one of the things I want to ask you about. First of all, I was I, I hate to say this because I'm never positive about anything that goes. I'm never happy for anything that goes well for you people up there in the North Country. <laughs> I, I'm just never happy for you. But I see that Chase Winovich seems like he's finally out of Bill Belichick's doghouse. I mean, he played 72% of the snaps. He was productive as hell. I, he seems like, well, what did he have to do to get out from under Bilicek's thumb? Basically, what he's doing is he's playing mistake-free football, or he's playing more disciplined football. Chase was lagging a little bit on some of his breaks. He was not um, utilizing his strengths well. He was getting whistled for unnecessary penalties. That's a very easy way to worm yourself into the Bill Belichick doghouse. Now, I've spoken, you know, we've all spoken to Bill here in the uh, in, in the Boston media over the course of the last few weeks, and especially when Chase was kind of the odd man out in that Patriots defense, Bill's never got to admit to you that he's benching someone or that he's really, he's admonishing someone. He's going to tell you the same thing. Nah, it's part of the game plan. You know, we're just going to do what we do. <laughs> Chase a good player. He's going to get his reps. That's the kind of response you're going to get. But slowly but surely, he has worked himself back in because he's playing more disciplined. Um, from what I've heard, he's working very closely with guys like Gerard Mayo, guys like Steve Belichick in that room. And they're playing and they're working very closely in practice to make sure that Chase utilizes his strengths well and he doesn't play to his weaknesses. That's been the biggest difference, and you're seeing it. He's getting after the quarterback a lot better. He's playing a lot more free. He's not as tense, not as concerned with making mistakes because he's learning what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. And that, to me, is one of the biggest things that you can possibly hope for in a young defender. We're seeing a little bit now with Josh Uche being able to come out and play healthy. 
he's been a great addition as well. And with he was next on my list to ask you about. He was next on my list to ask you about. Just Josh Uche. Yep. I'm now in the, in what I'm watching of the Patriots. I'm watching him start to flash. It seems like every game, like this game, he did. He doesn't put up any statistics, but he has three quarterback hits. He's in there. He's muddying the pocket. He's making his presence felt. It seems like he's getting it. You know, I trashed our pick of AJ Epinesa at defensive end for the Buffalo Bills, and now that he's had. A dozen games under his belt, you're starting to see him flash in games. He's making an impact. It's not earth shattering. It's not game changing impact, but he's there. <laughs> you know that he's on the field. And I think that that speaks to a rookie acclimating to the NFL, especially trying to play in the trenches against guys who have been doing it for years. The fact that Uche's getting off and that Chase Winovich is getting going. I mean, it pays, it's clearly paying dividends for the Patriots' defense. Without question. And Uche, and you mentioned Epineza. Epineza's a guy that I scouted quite heavily. I would have loved to have seen the Patriots pick him up, although I am very happy with their choice of Josh Uche. But at the same time, you look at these kids, they're rookies, and they didn't have the same type of developmental uh, time that usually rookies will have. There were no OTAs. There were no rookie mini camps. There were no mini camps. Uh, you came into training camp at the same time there were no preseason games and i know a lot of people will roll their eyes on that and say oh well you know it is the way it is you didn't get much out of it anyway that type of prep time does matter especially when you're dealing with well-coached teams like new england like buffalo that prep that predicate themselves on a system that works for them and they want to work your players into that system when they don't have the opportunity to do it you're going to see slow development we've seen that with uche i'm sure you guys have probably seen that with aj up in buffalo but now these guys are coming into their own and uche has that extra motor that extra get get up in his stance that allows him to be able to move freely in the pocket uh be a, a, a very big part of the middle part of the patriots defense also, he's been involved in some of the play calling on the field. That's very telltale. Shows a lot of maturity and a lot of faith in Bill Belichick in uh, Josh Uche to be able to give him that type of responsibility. The other thing I'm noticing about uh, Uche as well is he's actually spying in coverage. He was one of the guys that was spying in coverage on Sunday. That's a big part of what this Patriots defense does. We've seen guys like Dante Hightower do that. Juwan Bentley has done it. Now with Uche doing it, it has to uh, you know, definitely fill him with a lot of confidence moving forward. So these guys are getting their chance to do it. When they do that, confidence builds, and you're able to utilize it from there. You have a quarterback who rushes the ball more effectively than he throws it, but you've got a defense playing lights out, and you've got a Polish punt returner who has 176 yards, and only playing six snaps on offense still somehow caught a touchdown. I mean, everything <laughs> is coming up Patriots. So with that in mind... You now have to go on the road for back-to-back games, tough ones. The Rams and their high-flying offense against this, I think this is, and the Miami Dolphins, but I think this Rams game next week, it's interesting in the sense that your defense is surging right now and it's carrying you to victories. Now you're going up against a Rams team that seems like they stumbled for a little bit in the mid part of the season, but they're picking up steam. They just beat the, they just beat the Cardinals in what was the only entertaining football game that happened on Sunday. I'm, I will stake my reputation on that. 
are you nervous that I because essentially, like you said, there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done and you need help, but it takes it would take winning out and getting some help at this point. Do you think Absolutely. that this week, this iteration of the Patriots from what you've seen from the last two weeks has what it takes to go toe to toe with this iteration of the Rams? Toe to toe, yes. Does that mean that I believe they're absolutely going to win this game? Uh, I'm a lot more pessimistic about this game than I was about Sunday's game, without any question. Look, the Los Angeles Rams are a much different team. I've been telling my listeners on Locked On Patriots this is a different LA story that you're going to see on Thursday night than you saw last Sunday. The Chargers are a nice story. Justin Herbert's had a nice season, but very poor run defense, very poorly coached on special teams. The Rams have had their problems on special teams, but this is a talented defense. This is an offense that can be scary when all cylinders are clicking. And I think at this point, Jared Goff right now coming in has the ability to take over this game and play at a high level. Now, I think at the same time, the Patriots have to feel good about what they did to Goff the last time they saw him. Super Bowl 53, I understand. Completely different personnel but you still have Bill Belichick. You still have that defensive brain trust that knows what they did to stymie uh, a guy like Jared Goff. And who knows, maybe if you hit it head on right there and try to stop him, it allows the Patriots to be able to play their game. If you try to do everything you can to stop Jared Goff Thursday night, all of a sudden his prolific weapons around him uh, you know, like Woods, and of course, you know, we saw Henderson get the, uh, you know, the ball the other night. Um, I know uh, Akers is, uh, you know, banged up a little bit, but he's capable. Cooper Cup is one of the better slot receivers in the game. You look at these guys, they have the ability to make big plays, but if Goff is not clicking on all cylinders, all of a sudden those guys become moot, and you've seen Los Angeles struggle when that happens. The Patriots need to play that same game that they do. Try to get after Goff right off the right off the bat. Show him unorthodox looks, things he's not used to seeing. Try to confuse him at the line of scrimmage. If that happens, the pass rush can get home, the defense sets, and all of a sudden, the Patriots can play their game. That's a big if, considering how well Los Angeles is playing right now, but that's going to be the key to winning. And, of course, the Patriots have to go up against a team that is very good at stopping the run. That's the type of team they haven't seen in the last few weeks. It's going to be very telltale to see if Cam can tuck and run like he has been and if Damian Harris can get going. If Los Angeles is able to stop the run and they can get Aaron Donald home and after the quarterback, could be a long night uh, for the New England Patriots on Thursday. Well, in anticipation of some of your failure, why don't you tell all of our Bills listeners where they can follow you on social media and what you have coming up this week on the podcast? Uh, well, you can always follow me on the Bird app, as my good friend Mark Schofield always says, uh, at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-B-C. Uh, we've got uh, pre game previews all coming up all week long. Tomorrow, of course, crossover Thursday with Locked On Rams. Uh, host Sosa K does a great job with that show. We'll be getting everyone ready for kickoff on Thursday. And then, of course, Friday we take it all home. We'll do all the wrap-up, all the analysis of the game on Thursday night. You guys like to think it's an anticipation for failure, but... I'd like to think anticipation of, <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. Oh We're all God. white Christmas right now. We're hoping for beyond all hopes. So the, the roles have reversed here. We know that's usually what you guys in Buffalo are doing. New England's cruising. They're on cruise control at this point. Not this case this year. Uh, Buffalo looks like they're in cruise control for the division title. Well-deserved. 
but the New England Patriots are not dead yet. Just when you thought they were out, they pulled you back in. And then we get to our own Buffalo Bills. Obviously, we won 34-24 versus the 49ers. Last week, we told everyone they needed to relax a little and to start having some faith in this team and that they can win in prime time in big moments because everything Sean McDermott has done shows that it's trending in that direction, right? Yeah. We've charted it. And because we built a chart, obviously that makes it official. Yeah. <laughs> but Sean McDermott really does seem to have turned things around year over year here. And we got off to a great start into this primetime schedule with a drubbing of the 49ers. Now, our full recap is over there on the Rockball Report if you want to go check that out. I actually, I felt awful. I wanted to die. The day when we were recording, it was it was just a mess. At the beginning of the NFL season, NFL Network's Adam Rank pegged Buffalo as a nine and seven football team. Uh, it was not at the beginning of the season. It was, uh, I believe, it was June fourteenth. Okay. And then CBS Sports was right there with them, with Pete Prisco pegging us at nine and seven. Well, outlets like Pro Football News and Pro Football Talk and Sporting News had us at a slightly more optimistic 10 and 7. And yet here we are, 9 and 3 for the second straight season. After our win on Monday Night Football, Chris, I got to ask the question Could this potentially be one of the best Bills teams of all time? Absolutely. We, we live in an offensive era, so. Our offense, you know, is is just through the roof. For people who missed it, go check out the Rockpile Report. We we made a list of players who hit personal or NFL-wide milestones on Monday Night Football. That's how well this team is performing. They just commandingly won a Monday Night Football game for the first time since 1999. Yeah. I drunkenly tweeted out apparently 20 hours ago. That if you're not up and listening to Prince, then you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, Josh Allen's four touchdowns last night. First time that's happened on Monday night since Kelly did it in 91 against the Bengals. We right now possess the best offensive rating in the simple rating system since 2004. The best rating we've had since 2004 with Drew Bledsoe, Eric Moulds, McGahee. And we're just slightly behind that of the last Bills Super Bowl season in 1993. And yet, there's members of the national media like Nick Wright, who got take, who feel like it's still in their wheelhouse to take shots at our quarterback. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I get the slander against... Josh Allen coming out of college. We all know he's just moldable piece of, of Play-Doh. And if he gets put with the right coaching, you can mold him into whatever you want. To underscore that, Pat McAfee hosted Josh Allen on his podcast last week. They did a 24-minute segment that I urge every member of Bill's Mafia to go check out. But they were talking about his mechanics and how he got his mechanics mapped. They put sensors all over his body, and they told they could show him in real time, hey, when you throw the football, time and time and time and time again, in so many of your reps, here's how your muscles fire, here's what your throwing motion looks like. And he admitted that he went last 
So all of these quarterbacks who are backups and kind of underachievers went ahead of him. And the guys are talking about how, well, your, your hips are firing great. Your, your rotation is good. Your hand movement and your shoulder to your elbow to your hand. Everything, your mechanics are pretty sound. You just need to fix one or two things. Tweak things minorly. Josh went last and they got to him and the guy goes, I don't even know what to say to you. You're a mess. Josh said that on a significant number of his passes, which we saw in 2018 play out in real time, his elbow and his hand and his shoulder would fire. Like his shoulder muscles and his elbows and his hand muscles, they'd fire before his hips ever activated. How many times did we watch Josh Allen throw wild passes all over the place simply because he didn't have his feet set or he wasn't using his legs at all? All the time. That's why the national media hates him. They see one throw and then that equals his entire body of work. He credits that diagnosis in the offseason of 2018 with the growth that we saw in 2019. And then... This year, he extrapolated off of that and put more work into his fine-tuning mechanics. And now, what you're seeing is more of the finished product of Josh Allen. You want to talk about a moldable block of clay? He's being molded as we watch. Tell me Monday Night Football didn't make him look like a a juggernaut. Yeah, it did. Against How do you stop that? Against a good pass defense. Eight of nine. In passes that traveled more than 15 yards or more in the air. That's that's absurd. And yet it speaks to the power in his arm and his accuracy. Yeah. He's improving. And some people don't want to admit that. So Nick Wright took to social media or took to ESPN this morning, I think it was. He worked for Fox Sports. Fox Sports. Great. Great. Even better. A second-rate sports network. He goes out there and trashes Josh, and social media goes crazy about it. Bill, social media goes nuts. And I've said this before, it's a cottage industry. It's become a cottage industry, making fun of Bill's fans in order for to generate clicks. Because we're so defensive, we're so insecure about what we have, that now that we have something great, we'll rush to defend it as fans. And when someone says something negative about a guy we love, we can't help but show up for it. Yeah, he legitimately said Josh Allen is holding the Bills back. (laughs) Four touchdowns! Four touchdowns and almost 400 yards. Yeah, he's holding us back. What? The man needs to be euthanized. With that said, he's not the only one. I mean, he got taken to the mat for his shitty uh, shitty opinions by former NFL wide receiver Brandon Marshall. Also on First Things First. But there's more people who still hold these opinions. I mean, that scumbag, oh, what is it, Cian Fahey? Sean Fahey. That died ICCian. That, that's yeah. how, Sean? I believe that's how it would be pronounced. It's C-I-A-N. Yeah, in a country that should... Yeah, C-I-A-N. I think it's Sean. Okay. But he had, I'll read you this tweet from 22 hours ago. And please hold your laughter till the end. Josh Allen is an inverse Andy Dalton. He has his best games on primetime, Dallas last year, and then Monday night against San Francisco. Primetime games always set the wider perception of a player. They don't always reflect the majority of the sample. Yeah. 
Andy. Oh, that's hysterical. Josh Allen is an inverse Andy Dalton. I want that man shot in the street. <laughs> I want tarred and feathered isn't good enough for that guy. And yet he purports to know everything about football, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, he hates. <laughs> this is a man who knows everything about football. Yeah, he hates Josh Allen. He had that just probably like what Nick Wright had. Had out of college, this guy's garbage. He's not going to project to the NFL. And he's wrong. And he can't admit it. Him? Sam Monson, who's blocked us on Twitter. Yeah, you're Hilarious. welcome. You're yeah, welcome. That was you. Yeah, Somehow you're welcome. you were you're the welcome. one. Out of the two of us. Out of the two of us. The guy's would, a scumbag. Who would tweet something volatile enough to make someone block you? No one would believe it was you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Even your beloved Colin Cowherd. Yeah, I like Cowherd. Cowherd said, everybody knows this uh, back in July when they did the NFL Top 100. And Colin Cowherd said... I wouldn't even have Josh Allen in the top 200. You know, I watched the herd today. He walked those statements back because he, you know, whether you like Cowherd or not, a lot of the times when he's wrong about something, he will say he's wrong. He even has a segment on his show called Where Colin Was Right, Where Colin Was Wrong and calls himself out. That's fair. I mean, he's walked. And he's, I appreciate yes, that. He's I walked his opinion that. back on Allen and has seen his growth. All of these people get together, these blowhards in the national media who do not believe that the quarterback that has made these things the Buffalo Bills have accomplished this year possible. They don't think he's good. It's all hack. And so what I urge every Bills fan out there is don't feed into it. Don't click these things. Don't go to the links. Don't, when the snippets of video get thrown on social media, don't click them. Don't, don't watch it. Stop reading the articles. Stop. Mute them. No, don't mute because that's, that's weak. That's weak. Chris. I mean, we don't, I didn't, I don't, I don't know how to use mute on Twitter. <laughs> so if I couldn't tell you. To how to mute something. You and I don't us. mute people. Our, our, our we, claim we definitely to, don't block people. Our claim to fame is we don't mute, we don't block. You mute and block us. Yeah. <laughs> with that in mind, guys, with, with all of these primetime games in front of us, please get thicker skin. Stop reacting to every hack journalist who just wants to farm 5,000 clicks by saying something negative or controversial about the Buffalo Bills. Stop feeding into it. If you do that, the next month of your life will be far more bearable. And also, you'll send a message to some of these shock jocks that work out there in the sports media that you can't just... Again, I, I, I call it a cottage industry. The cottage industry of, if I talk smack about Bill's Mafia, Bill's Mafia will respond. We need to end this somewhere. We, had, we need to have more, what do you call that, Chris? We, have, we need to have less insecurity yeah. about our football team. It has to start now because if it doesn't, over the course of the next month as we roll through this primetime schedule, if we do well, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, right. Imagine if we just run the table the rest of the way and we finish. Think about <laughs> it's, how loud. It's hard for me to say we run the table. It's hard for me to to say in a sentence. Buffalo Bills finish thirteen and three. Like that could happen, and people would still find something to bash Josh Allen for, and they'd make 
thousands of dollars yeah. off the clicks you people you people provide them. Let's stop this nonsense here and now. I I I beg of you. That's my PSA for the weeks, people. <laughs> the week fourteen outlook. You've got the Buffalo Bills against the at home against the Steelers. This is this is a playoff game. We talked yeah. about it in the Rockball Report with uh, Joe Kuzma. The suddenly vulnerable Steelers are coming to town, and we're likely to see a desperate but flawed team that's trying to cling to the number one seed in the NFL. If Josh Allen can have the game he had on Monday Night Football against them, I don't know if there's a defense in the league that can stop him, even for as talented as this one is. For the Miami Dolphins, they're home against Kansas City. They have a three-game stretch from hell, and it starts against the league's most efficient offense, we'll call it. The Kansas City Chiefs have rolled everyone, and they are currently sitting at 11-1. Their singular loss has been avenged against the Raiders, and now they're going down to Miami to play the, the number one defense, or at least one of the better defenses in the AFC. Chris, what do you think happens in this one, and where do you want that to go? Uh, I believe it's going to be Kansas City winning easily. Okay. Because I think the Miami's not there yet, and I think they still need another another draft under their belt and uh, s- some more cohesion with their defense and their offense. But what do you want to happen? What I want to happen is for... Florida just to cut off from the United States and float away. With the Chiefs on it? Sure. (laughs) And just sell it to Cuba. Just let that thing float away. We don't need Florida. That's a phenomenal idea. (laughs) Although, hang on. We'd lose Owl Mountain. I mean, he would eventually (laughs) become president of Cuba. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. And then New England. New England now has this run here, right? We yeah. talked. We just got done talking with Mike Debate about it. They have this game against the Rams that's going to... And they stayed out there, too. That's I'm surprised the, Gavin Newsom let him do that. <laughs> I don't even know if Gavin Newsom knows. He's probably at a restaurant somewhere right now. He can't be bothered with the fine details. Yeah. But with that said, he's... The New England Patriots have an opportunity to jumpstart their season with another win right here to get above 500 for literally the first time since October 5th. Damn. October 5th. That's the last time they were 500. They could be above that for the first time, and this Rams team has been volatile. They've won games, but they've lost games. I mean, it's it's hard to get a read on this. I mean, what, they lose to the Bills, but they open 4-1. and one. They lose to the 49ers, and you go, well, that, that doesn't make much sense, but okay. And then they beat the Bears, and you say, yeah, that's, that's the Rams. And then they lose to the Dolphins. <laughs> then they win against the Seahawks, and you say, okay, the Seahawks are done. They're the best team in the NFC East, or NFC West. They win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, furthering the narrative that Brady can't win against good teams. And then they lose again to the undermanned 49ers. 
I don't know what this team is from one week to the next, but it seems like when they encounter good coaching, they fail. Especially strong defenses with good coaching. So in this way, with this defensive resurgence under Bill Belichick, it's going to be interesting to see if the if they can hang on and if the Patriots can get above 500 for the first time in two months. And then the Jets. I mean, does anyone really care what the Jets are doing? Only Jet fans do because they want that top pick. I mean, the Jets are going to play the Seahawks. Seahawks are going to be angry. Yeah. They just lost to the Jets. Yeah, that that better be a... I think this that Seahawks game might be a... Ooh, look out. That might be a two-touchdown game. Probably. Meet me at the casino. Oh, no. If you're... <laughs> folks, if he's... This might be the Jets, Jets week if Chris is betting on Seattle. Stay away from it. He is the mush. Oh, the AFC East is interesting. For the first time in a long time, obviously we're biased because the Bills are at the top of it, but this whole exercise has been fun. Make sure you show up for next week's Rockpile Report. What was it? The 23rd. Yeah, two we, weeks. Two weeks from now, we air our Festivus episode. Make sure you tweet us or email us your... We do an airing of Bills grievances where we get to just vent all of our Bills frustrations so that we don't carry them into the playoffs with us. Get them out. Tweet us at RockPileReport, RockPileReport716 at gmail.com, or find us on Reddit at the Report. Let us know your grievances against this 2020 Bills squad. That way we can all move on into the playoffs with a clean slate, no negativity. It's going to be great. We, Chris, this week's show has been fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Our guests are amazing. And this has been the AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.